Hi, and welcome to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I hope that you're having a fantastic day. I am very excited to bring my guest to you today, Gabrielle Dolan. Gabrielle can tell a story or two. She is a master storyteller. In fact, she was working at the National Australian Bank, the biggest bank in Australia, and she realized, hey, I'm a really good storyteller. I'm actually leading change management initiatives through telling stories. And after she was passed up for a senior level position within her organization, she said, that's it. I'm going to take a leap and I'm going to go start my own consulting company. And I'm going to teach people how to tell stories. I'm going to teach corporations, CEOs, business leaders, entrepreneurs, how to use the power of storytelling to achieve more success, to connect with people, to, to build relationships with customers. And she tells a story about how this did not go over well 17 years ago when she started her business and everybody said, what, storytelling? Of course, now we all know the power of using stories to connect with people, to make your customer your hero, to make your employees a hero. And she, uh, she, this is what she does. This is her passion. Gabrielle is also a best-selling author of Real Communication, How to Be You and Lead True. And she has a new book out called Magnetic Stories. And you want to make sure that you go to Amazon and get this book. It's all about how to build brands with in your company uh, to use stories to make your customer the hero. So uh, you want to be sure to listen all the way to the end of this podcast. It's fantastic. She is clearly a master storyteller. And so you hang tight and I will be right back with Gabrielle. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have the lovely Gabrielle Dolan with me. Gabrielle, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Kerry. I'm excited to be with you. So tell us where you're joining from, just so everybody knows. Just so everyone knows, just in case they don't quite catch the accent, which I'm sure they already <laughs> have, but I am dialing in from Melbourne, Australia. So we are in very sunny, sunny summer right now. It's the opposite of me in Durango, Colorado, where we're in the winter, but I love Melbourne. What a, it's a great city. Uh, I've been there a few times. So oh, uh, it's when, was the last time, when was the last time you were here? Oh, gosh, it's been, I guess it was in 2014. Oh, okay. So not, not too long, not, not too, long, too long, ago. long ago. Well, you know, nope. considering we've sort of lost the last two years, not too long ago. <laughs> exactly. Just erase, just erase 2020 and 2021. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's jump into your expertise. You're a master storyteller. So how did you become such an expert in it? <laughs> if, you, if you ask my um, friends that I've been friends with for 40 years, they will say, you were always a really good storyteller. I think I, I, think I honed my skills down at the pub, you know. But, <laughs> but um, seriously, I, um, I spent a lot of time in corporate Australia. So I spent, uh, you know, I, I was working in one of Australia's largest banks for 17 years and, and had progressed up the ranks into some senior leadership roles. So one of the things that I was dealing with was leadership. Like, you know, how do, how do you get your team engaged? How do you get them connected to the strategy? How do you get them inspired around the purpose and engaged with the value? So I was, I was facing those real challenges that you face um, as a leader. I was also in my last couple of roles at the bank, I was in some change management roles. So again, in these big 
change management roles? How do you get your message across to every single employee around why we need to do this change and not only why we need to do it, but actually get them to change their behavior because of it, which is sort of what change management is all about. And what I, what I started to just sort of noticed is when I shared a story, it seemed to get the message across better. And not only it seemed to get the message across better, but seemed people seemed to remember it and sort of, you know, almost have that, oh yeah, that makes sense. I never thought about it that way. So I sort of noticed that. And then then I actually started to notice that the other there was some really other good leaders and even presenters that were I thought were really good. And what I noticed about them is that they were sharing stories. So that was about 20 years ago and I started to look around and there wasn't much talk about, you know, storytelling as a leadership skill and storytelling in business, but I, I came across a couple of books. One was written by Steve Denning, who was a senior exec at World Bank. He was actually born in Australia, but he lived pretty much all his life in, in the States. And there was another book by Annette Simmons. And so there was a couple of books about it. And and I just sort of started playing with the idea, thinking about it over a couple of years. And then it got to the point where I thought, I think this is a skill. I think it's a real skill leaders need. And and it's not as easy as just saying, start telling stories. And because I had done quite a bit of leadership design and delivery myself in my roles, I just sort of thought, had this weird, crazy idea that maybe I could leave corporate Australia and start teaching leaders, senior leaders, execs, CEOs, entrepreneurs, whatever, to start communicating and influencing more effectively by sharing their personal story. So here I am 17 years later, still doing it and still loving it. So did you have any inkling that you wanted to be an entrepreneur before you started on this venture? No, no, not really. I, I think yeah. it's it's funny, Kerry, when I, when I actually left corporate Australia, when I say I left, I, um, there was a there was a couple of restructures going on and I applied for this really senior role. It was like the head of learning for for the organization. And I actually I didn't get it. And my the the manager who was appointing me, I had worked with for quite a while. And I remember her saying to me, she said, You've all you've sort of been talking about going out on your own and doing this stuff. Why don't you do it? Like what do it now? And you know, there was a nice little retrenchment package on the table. So when she said that, I, I, part of me went, have I, have I been saying that? And I, I, I sort of think I had been mentioning it, but it was never, it, it was, it wasn't certainly on my radar all my life to go, I'm going to go out and start my own company. And it certainly wasn't, I'm going to start my own company on storytelling because, you know, 17 years ago, people were just literally laughing at me, go storytelling in business. Like, wh what are you mad? What are you talking about? But you know, now it's rightly recognized as an absolute leadership capability. So all good now. It wasn't so great 17 years ago, I'll tell you that, Kerry. Well, uh, this so resonates with me. I was just having a conversation with one of my uh, senior executives, um, an engineering type, and we were talking about how to find his authentic voice to be more insp inspiring. And I told him, I said, you, you just want to tell the facts. And that's great, <laughs> but you've got to weave the story into it because otherwise it doesn't resonate with people. People, even engineers, want to be inspired, and you can only do that through storytelling. And he just had his like his eyes kind of like open at me, like, 
okay, I hear what you're saying, but I have no idea how to do this. So what advice would you give him to go from, okay, I have an engineering, very logical, very efficient way of communicating to being able to tell a story? Mm. Kerry, there's a, there's a couple of things to unpack there, but so first of all, let me think a lot of people, when you suggest storytelling in business and, and even sharing personal stories, it's like this look, this horror on their face. And it's, it's, I think a couple of things, they don't even understand why that would be relevant and they don't know how to do it. So, so that, that then becomes a fear because if I, if I don't know how to do it properly and I do it, it's not going to work or I'm going to look like an idiot or a fool or whatever. So that's that's a genuine reason why people don't do it. I also um, I also do a lot of work with engineers, on, and it's funny. It's um, the people that bring me into the organisation. So it might predominantly be the CEO that brings me in, or the head of um, the head of internal comms, or the head of HR or PNC, and they will say to me, "Now these are all engineers." Okay, so they're all very logical, logical people. And I go, that's good because what I do is I actually take people through a very logical process, but at the end pops these stories. So part of, like you do, you do have to train people. And I know, I know I might be a little bit biased in this because this is my job to train people how to do storytelling. But when I see companies expect their leaders to be better at sharing stories and you know, they go, we want our leaders to share stories, to bring our strategy to life, to, you know, embed our values and bring them to life, but they don't teach them how to do it. I think that, I think that's really irresponsible because what it does, it actually sets them up for failure as opposed to setting them up for success. And you'll, you'll have, you know, like your client, you, they will do it, they will do it once and it won't work. And of course it won't work because they haven't been told how to do it and therefore they never do it again. And it won't work because perhaps they're sharing a story that's too vulnerable or it's too inappropriate. They're going way too long. So that's one of the common mistakes. People just go way too long when they share stories in work. They become really directive. So they end their story with, so the moral of the story is when you shouldn't be telling people what the moral of the story is. You should allow them to get it. And it's just, I, th I think there's this reluctance to go, why would I share a personal story to get my business message across? I, I don't even understand that concept. No one would be interested in. But it's like you said, you can have all the facts and figures and data and logic, which, which you still need, you absolutely need, but it's through the story. People will not only connect to the message, but they connect to you as the storyteller and that there's some amazing research and science behind that. So, you know, as a leader, you not only getting your message across, but you're actually strengthening the relationship with your people. It's like, that's win-win. Yep, absolutely. Well, how I helped them was I said, let's start with just sharing the why, right? Let's find the compelling why and the, what are the trade-offs and what are the things that could happen? Like you could still have this, this, the climantic, right? Still follow the hero's journey even if you don't want to get personal, right? And that's part of his his thing is I'm a very private, personal person. So I said, you can still use stories. So how about you build the why? Like, let's build a compelling why around this. And so as he practiced it, it was like, okay, I can see this. I can see this because this is actually information that I would want to have too. And how it's going to connect to our customers and then to you know, our customers winning and then what that means for us. And so that's how I worked with him on that, that story to make it maybe a little bit like safer, 
dipping the toe in the water of this whole idea of storytelling where it doesn't necessarily have to be personal, but you can still, it can still be compelling because it creates a vision for where you want to go. Yeah. So, and Carrie, I think one of the things, and one of, one of the, one of the things I really emphasize when I work with leaders is when I say personal, it's not your deepest, darkest fears and secrets right. and like being all vulnerable. It's not that. In fact, we, we don't need to go there. And so when you will have people go, I'm very private. It's when I say a personal story, it's just something that didn't happen at work. And, you know, so say, for example, I, w- I was working with a senior, a CEO, actually, and one of the messages he's wanted to get across, it was all around the company messages why, you know, part of them was giving back and supporting, you know, the community. And he was really passionate about that. It was one of the things he was really driving. So I was helping him find his stories. So I just sort of started with things like, why is that so important to you? Like, what, what, why, why is that really important to you? And guess what? They tell a story and he'll yeah. go, oh, but, you know, growing up, growing up, we would always you know, my mum, and I go, tell me more about that. He goes, oh, I remember mum, every time someone was sick in the community, in the street, she would always make a casserole. And I still remember me and my other brothers and sisters walking to the person who was sick or whatever with all this food. And he's, he's just telling a story naturally. And so I go, well, why don't we share that story? And so it's finding these stories to prove that this isn't just a company value. This isn't just, you know, the corporate line I'm spinning. This is really important to me. And it's important to me because I was raised this way. But it's, it's, you can't just say that. Like, you've got to share the story. Like, I remember yeah. when I was a kid, every Friday, mum would make us, drag us along to deliver casseroles to all the sick, sick people. But it, it shows that, that this is really um, important to him. And it's, it's a story, it's, it's a story about his mum. It's like the mum's the hero yeah. in the story. He's not the hero, the mum. And that's, that's one of the tricky bits where you can't be the hero in the story. Someone else has got to be the hero in the story, because if you're the hero, it just sort of feels like you're bragging and, it, and that doesn't work either. Yeah. Well, and that's so true in, even in marketing, right? In branding, I always tell my marketing team, we're never the hero in this story. Like companies make the mistake when they say we're the hero and look at what we did for you. No, you want to make your customer the hero. You're the guide. You're guiding them through this. So that's uh, that really resonates with me. Is that, that is that the kind of advice you give on yeah. personal branding or uh, yeah. marketing? Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 the fact that you said make the customer the hero, I want to share. I want to share an example or, or a story yeah. with you. My latest book, all, all my all my previous books have been for leaders. Like you know, stories for work was about how you as a leader share per, share your stories to you know do change or values or whatever. My latest book, Magnetic Stories, is around brand storytelling, and it's about how to connect and engage with both in, um, customers and employees. I had so much fun writing that book because I got to speak to so many companies from around the world doing really cool things with story. And one of my favorites was um, Columbia Restaurants in Florida. And I, I don't know if you've ever been, but it's, it's, it's the oldest uh, restaurant in Florida. It's like fifth generational owned. And they use stories so well. And I want to I give you a great example of a customer story where they make the customer the hero. On a couple of years ago on Valentine's Day, they just did a post. It was on a social media and it was just like 
Valentine's Day um, celebrating, you know, love around the world. And they had a picture of a, of a couple, like who were pretty old. And they said, this is, they, they named them. And they said, for the last 72 years, this couple have been coming to Columbia Restaurant to celebrate their wedding anniversary. And the backstory was that they came on their first wedding anniversary and they came back again on the second wedding anniversary and coincidentally got seated at the same table. For the next 70 years, Columbia Restaurant have reserved that table for them on their wedding anniversary and every year they've come. And so the story, it's a brilliant story making the customer the hero, but by sort of by default, you're going, what a really cool restaurant. But that, and so that's, that's a great example of sharing a story, make the customer the hero, make your employee the hero, and just subtle, there's this very tiny, subtle message that reflects well on you as a company and a brand. Yeah. So how do, uh, how do brands get started? How do companies get started with this? Because I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that they need to be the hero. Yeah. And I think, um, so I think how you get started and this is whether you're an individual or an entrepreneur or a small business or a multinational business, the first place is what is it you want to be known for? Like to yeah. define your brand. And what I mean by that, I mean, there's a whole, whole heap of definitions around what brand is. I, um, one of my favorites I came across with brand, um, it was from Jeff Bezos. He said that, uh, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. I've tweaked that because I think what people say about you is they share stories about you. So I, so to me, your brand are the stories people share about you when, you know, you're not around type thing. And so it's defining what you want to be known for. And ultimately, I think that is the values of a, of a, of either an individual. So your values or the brand, the company's values. So a lot of companies are good at that. They're going, no, no, yeah, we've got our values. We, we've spent the last 18 months coming up with our values and they've wordsmithed them, you know, and they've spent six months deciding whether they call it integrity or they call it doing the right thing. Like they, they spend a ridiculous amount of time on deciding what we're actually going to call our values. And then they think that's it. And so the very next step is, okay, so first of all, live your values. That's a bit of a no brainer, but how do you, how do you share stories? So how do you find, so if, if one of your values is exceptional customer service, well, first of all, do it, actually deliver exceptional customer service because that will create stories. So you, that'll get people talking about your exceptional customer service, but also find your employees delivering exceptional customer service. So look for it. And then, and then share those stories. So share those stories internally, share them in your induction programs, or in fact, do what Columbia Restaurant did and share them externally on social media, but just making the employee the hero and, and resisting the urge to bring it back to you because that will happen by default. So once you've defined what you want your brand to be, I think, I think the next thing is teaching your people about the power of stories and teaching your leaders how to share stories. And then we start this ongoing process of capturing your stories, communicating them, and then creating them. And what I mean by creating them is actually living 
your values. And then that, that just, it just goes around and it, it sort of has this then ripple effect where it's just more and more and more stories, but there's got to be a conscious point to capture and share them at the, at the first point and then, then keep it going. And are there different types of stories that, that businesses should look at creating? Yeah, when I, when I um, started researching for this book, I, you know, I mapped out the book, you know, why storytelling and all this. And I, and I had a section that was going to be the X number of stories a company. And I had no idea what that X would be. And after doing all the research, they sort of logically fell into about five or five sort of different buckets. And one is, and they all start with C. They all start with C. So I sort of like that. One is the creation story. And that, that is your typical, you know, founder story or origin story. And the reason I called it creation, not just to make sure it started with C, although that I must admit, Kerry, that did have something to do with it slightly. <laughs> but the reason I called it a creation story, because it's not just the founder story and it's not just the origin story. It can potentially be how a product started. So if you're delivering a product or a service, how did that start? Why did that come about? Why is that important? So it's the creation. So that's the creation story, which I think I captures that better. The other one is culture stories. And this is sort of what I was um, talking about. How do you get your leaders sharing personal stories about what the values mean to them? And how do you find your employees, you know, sharing stories of your employees actually delivering on those values? So whether it be customer service or risk-taking or integrity or whatever. And then the other three are customer stories, which we just spoke about, you know, make your customer the hero, community stories. So again, this goes beyond just your corporate responsibility stuff. This is again, are your employees doing some amazing stuff in the community that's got nothing to do with you? Like, you know, have your, did your employees on the weekend go off and volunteer to um, fight bushfires? You know, if, the, if your employees are doing stuff, make them the hero. And again, the subtle thing will be, hey, you've got really great employees working for you. Must be a great company. And then the other ones are the challenge stories. So what challenges have you come across and, and how did you go about that? When I was researching this book, it was the start of the pandemic. I could have quite easily had another C COVID stories in there, but I think that a lot of them fell into the challenge story. So, and, and sometimes how you respond to a challenge is sort of showing your values as well. So some stories could be, or oh, that that's a culture story or that's a community story or, or that's a challenge story. And you're, yeah, it could be all three. So don't get hung up on about it, uh, hung up about it. It normally does cross over. So um, I remember that one of the stories, just to give you an example, Kerry, one of the stories um, I wrote about in the book came from a gin distillery in Sydney, Australia. And it was literally at the start of the pandemic when we all went into lockdown, this gin distillery had um, a restaurant attached to it. So they, they were concerned that they were going to have to let go their 15 employees that were part of the restaurant. There was also a massive shortage of hand sanitizer at the start of the pandemic. So in three days, so it was on a Friday afternoon when we went into lockdown, they decided that they're going to switch making gin to make hand sanitizer. And within, within three days, they had, they had changed all their regulations. They had designed labels, got bottles printed. Within three days, they had produced 7,500 bottles of hand sanitizer and over the next few months went on to produce 
you know, hundreds of thousands and not only saved the jobs of their 15 employees, but actually were able to employ another 15 people from the local region who had lost their job because they were in the, the hospitality industry. Now, that's, a, that's an amazing, you could, on, a, on the surface, that's a challenge story. How do we respond to the challenge? But their values are around community, around quality. And so it, it, it's their value story as well. It's also a community story. But also, if they keep making hand sanitizer, I, I don't, I, I don't think they do make hand sanitizer anymore. But if they kept making that product, that's the creation story of that product, which you know should be a little story on every label of their hand sanitizer. So I just think that's a really cool story about how it, we don't need to be hung up on what type of story it is. It's just a great story. So get out there and share it, and you know. They share that externally, they share it internally. It should be, it, it, I hope it's part of their induction program. So when new employees come, they, they get a sense of what the, what the values are and what brand is and what the expectations are of them through the stories. Yeah, that's such a great example. We had something similar right before the pandemic. We had a ransomware attack. So on a Saturday morning, I get a call from my IT team, like, we're shut down, don't know what's going on. And then, you know, a few hours later, we realized, okay, it's a ransomware attack. And we actually found the ransom note. And I called in 25 of my employees on Sunday morning to start to put together a plan of how are we going to get through this? And how are our customers not going to feel a thing? Because it's our busiest time of year and we cannot let them down. And so we put together all Sunday this plan. And of course, we emailed all the rest of our employees saying, hey, there's some things going on. You're not going to have access to email, blah, blah, blah. So by the time, and there's a company meeting at eight o'clock in the morning. So by the time everybody walks in, they are on pins and needles, right? Because they're like, what's going on? And of course, rumors had happened, gone through, we, we've been hacked. And, you know, I thought long and hard about like, how am I going to use this? How am I going to do this in a way that is going to, to let everybody know the magnitude of what we're going through, but inspire people to probably work harder than they have ever worked in their lives. And so, you know, I came in and I told them exactly what happened, you know, and I was dramatic and, you know, about the phone call. And then our attorney says, well, we have a 24 seven concierge service. And it's like, this is not vacation, you know? And then I ended like, and we are not paying the hackers. And everybody stood up and they cheered. And we put together this plan, four weeks of manually shipping orders. It was literally the most amazing thing that I have ever seen. It like brings tears to my eyes, just like remembering the camaraderie that we had. And I think that that story you know, not only has it woven into many other things about how we then went immediately into the pandemic and, and how that endears us to our customers. But, you know, in that moment, it was like, I have so many different ways that I can handle this. And I am just going to use a story to tell people the truth, to tell people like, hey, there's stuff that we don't know, and we're going to figure it out, but we're going to get through this and we're not paying them. And I think that was the biggest lesson I had ever learned in telling stories. And I'm a big storyteller too, of just how profoundly motivating that can be because it's what kept people motivated during a really tough time. 
And so Mm. this just completely resonates with me. I love the work that you do because I've witnessed how powerful it can be, how absolutely motivating it can be to uh, a company. And I was just wondering, do you, you know, do you see, do CEOs see this? Do they understand the power or do you have to convince them? First of all, Kerry, I I'm almost think, you know, there's like a movie in that where you're going, we will not pay the hackers. <laughs> I know, I it's like a bit of, you know, like, like a bit of Braveheart going on. <laughs> they will not take away our freedom. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, Kerry, to answer your story, when I, look, seriously, when I first started doing this 17 years ago, it'd be fair to say it was a hard sell. Because, yeah. you know, you'd be speaking to CEOs and they'd be going, well, what, you know, we're, we're bankers or we're engineers or we're blah, blah, blah. We, we don't need stories. And it was like, but you're trying to influence people and engage people and get your message across and lead a change. Of course you need stories. Even when I go into organizations and run, a, run workshops, so I go in and run like, you know, half-day workshops or full-day workshops. And even though people are in the room, 17 years ago, the, the, I would say a third of the people there were going, I, I so want to learn how to do storytelling. I think it's going to help me as a leader. The other third were probably, I'm not really sure if this is going to be relevant, but I'm prepared to listen. And the other third would be, there is not a hope in hell that I am sharing a story <laughs> at work, right? So over over the 17 years now, I would say that final third of hope in hell, I, I don't think I've come across anyone like that. And Maybe they're there and not say anything, but I I think that that is like, like it's, you know, maybe let's say it's 1% now that might think that. And that first third of, I really want to get better at storytelling. I I reckon that's like about 80% now. And you've you've still got some people that go, I'm not sure. I'm still not sure. What I love, what I truly, truly love about what I do is I can go into a company. I can work with the senior leadership team. Some of them will, at the end of the training, go, you know what? It's just never, ever occurred to me to share a personal story at work, ever. And and they're seeing how, it, you know, because I get them to share their stories, you know, with their, and they go, it's so powerful. I go, yep, I know. And then then I, what I love is they'll send me an email, you know, a week later or a month later and go, I shared the story with my team. I cannot believe the impact it had. And they're sort of going, this really works. I go, I know, I know. So once once people, I do the training that they experience the power of it because I can, I can get up there and tell them, you know, to the cows come home how great it is, but it's not until they share a story and experience the impact. And when their colleagues share a story and they sit back and go, wow that really connected with me. So once they've experienced the power of it and, and I've given the framework to do it, so they've got the capability now and they've experienced the power. So they've got a lot more confidence to do it. And then when they do it, I know when they do it once and it, and it will have the impact, they will then be going, right, I'm in. And then they go, I'm looking for stories all the time. So regardless of what message I'm trying to communicate, I need a story. would a story help me with this? And that, and that's where I ultimately want to get people is like, you don't need a story for everything. I mean, if you're just doing a project status update, you don't need a story, but if you're trying to get your message across where people really understand it and connect with it, I want to get leaders to the point to say, could I use a story for this? And at least ask yourself that because, you know, if you don't ask yourself, could I use a story for it? You know, well, the answer is going to be no. The answer is always no, if you don't ask. So 
it's just prompting them to go, yes, we need the logic. Yes, we need the data. Yes, you need all the facts. No one's suggesting you don't. But perhaps a story on top of that may bring that all to life. And that is what ultimately they'll remember. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. So my my keynote, I, I'm a speaker as well. My keynote is around this whole idea of flawed leadership and why we need to embrace our flaws and be open about our flaws because that's where people connect, right? Nobody, nobody wants to follow a perfect leader. It's not even real, right? There is no such thing. Yeah. And I remember the- I just want to jump in there because you said yeah. no one likes a perfect leader. It's not real. I have a saying that perfect leaders aren't real and real leaders aren't perfect. Yeah. So I love just, it. I, I love the fact that you said- yeah. I'm going to steal that. It's so Sorry, good. Sorry, I interrupted I you. you. I will give you full credit. No. That's amazing. I, I am so with you. Um, I have a, I have a checkered past. I had a, a drug addiction that led me to, um, to hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt and an overdose in uh, 2006. And as I rebuilt my life and started to really understand like what led me to that, which was a lot of imposter syndrome and me trying to hide what I didn't like about myself. I realized, hey, this is something that's really prevalent and really destructive. And I remember the first time that I shared that story with my team. And I was really scared to do it because I thought people were going to judge me, right? Oh, gosh, how can the CEO of this company have come from, you know, a drug addiction? And I mean, by the time I finished my story, people were in tears and they were like, thank you so much. And then you know, they shared, somebody shared a different story and a different one. And the next thing you know, like we're all so connected. And I was literally blown away. I never imagined, you know, I was young, I, I was became CEO at 29. I never imagined that I would one, have the guts to do that. And two, the profound impact that it would have of me saying, hey, I'm a flawed person. I've done some pretty bad things. This is what it led me to. And look, you can pick up your life and rebuild it and do something amazing. And so I really encourage people to be more open about that because people do connect with, you know, the grittiness of, of life. And so many leaders, I think, want to put on that facade of, you know, I, I don't have issues and, and I would never share them if I did. And it just doesn't land. It doesn't land with people like it could if you just share those stories. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, so I love, I love your messages around flawed leadership because I think leadership's changed. And yeah. I think if there's any leaders out there that are thinking they need to have all the answers, they need to be bulletproof, they need to be right. It is such an old fashioned concept of leadership and your people aren't responding to that. There's a, there's a whole generation that want to get involved and stuff. And you've like, and so I, I agree showing Showing some form of vulnerability and, you know, I mean, what you, your story was showing a, a very courageous story to share, showing a huge amount of vulnerability, but you don't like, you know, I'm saying to leaders, you don't have to go no. to that level. You could, but just, you can share, show some vulnerability and what it does and what your experience highlights, what, what exactly what this does is once you have the courage to show some vulnerability and share a story about that, what two things happen. There's a strengthening of the relationship with your people, but it gives your people permission to say, hey, yeah, I'm struggling with this as well. So that's, and, and that's, you know, the, the amazing work from Dr. Brené Brown, like, you know, highlights that, that it's um, 
showing vulnerability, you know, is a sign of courage because it takes courage to do it. And, you know, she would say it's the one thing that we're reluctant to do, but when we do it, it's the one thing that people really admire and respect. And so I think leaders need to get over this concept. If I show vulnerability, I won't be respected. It will be like the complete opposite. You you will increase your respect. So that's, yeah. So well done on you in, in getting those messages across. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I believe in it. I believe in it deeply because we need leaders who are going to inspire people to fix some of these major issues that we have. And we can't do it if we're just all pretending to be somebody who we're not. (laughs) So, and I love Renee Brown. I love Renee Brown. I am such a a Renee fan. We just did, uh, my whole leadership team just read Dare to Lead and did a big team building around it. And now I'm rolling it out through my company because I think that whole idea of courageous leadership and showing vulnerability, and we all do that through storytelling. It's so important for people to connect and people are feeling so disconnected these days that we've got to to just flip Mm. it upside down and really do something different. Yeah, I think, and I think one thing the, um, the last couple of years have shown us because we've been so physically disconnected, how important connection is. And it's yeah. through stories, you know, to, to me, I come from storytelling from a really practical perspective, like yeah. this will help you get your message across better. This will help you get, get people connected to your strategy and values. But the added benefit of sharing personal stories is we, we strengthen the relationship. We increase trust and respect. And, you know, as, as a leader, that's what you've got to be doing. And, and I, love, I love what you said before about, you know, we need leaders to inspire people and that like that's your job as a leader you know uh, uh, to me it's like are you a leader or a manager like and if you if you call if you're calling yourself a leader and you want to be a leader your job is to inspire not to you know have all the answers yep totally agree totally agree so I'm super curious about your book so what you know since it's such a different book or has a different flavor I should say than than your previous ones what's the most interesting thing that you learned about yourself yeah, God, that's a good question. You're going to, you know, talk about everyone else. So Lip, I would say in writing that, so I talk about vulnerability. I talk about sharing stories. On, on reflection, and I think this is going to come out in my next book, is perhaps I don't go vulnerable enough. So it's sort of like, you know, I, I can share some, I, I like to entertain as well as educate. So sometimes I use humor as a bit of a way to not go deep. And so I think, I think coming out of that and, and it, it, it will go into my next book, which by the way, is years and years away. So, but I, it, I'm just sort of thinking, I think I need now to step into, you know, I, I do practice what I preach clearly, but I, th- I think I could go, I think I could go a bit deeper at times. So um, that's what I learn about myself. I also learn about myself. I can also write why not in planes. So I actually decided to write this book at the start of the pandemic and it was going to be perfect time because I had all these, I was, you know, traveling, I was going to New York, I was going to Boston, I was going to London. You do so much great creative work when you're sitting on a plane. Anyway, clearly that didn't happen. Um, but I'm in Melbourne and Melbourne, unfortunately, has the title of the most days in lockdown. So it was amazing what lockdown does when you can write as well. So yeah, that and have you always little, been? That was my little COVID baby. <laughs> I wrote a COVID book too. Mine isn't out yet. I just sent it to my publisher, so I totally understand. Uh, uh, but I'm curious: Did you always know you were a writer? I mean, you have several books, and clearly you have more in in uh, in your head. So, you know, did you know you were going to write? <laughs> Kerry, so so in the in the um, we're talking about vulnerability. Let me tell you something. 
I failed English in my final year of school. Like, I don't know what was going on. <laughs> you know, I just, I failed English, right? So I, I've got school reports saying something around, you know, Gabriel just refuses to pay attention to basic grammar. So no, I never thought I would be a writer. I remember when I did, I did an MBA, like when I was about 28, I started doing an MBA and I was writing my thesis and I'd get my husband to proofread my thesis, which, which was a tough job, believe me. But he always would say to me, you cannot write the way you talk. And I went, why? And he goes, because you can't. It's an academic piece of writing. You just can't go, I reckon, blah, blah. And I was like, well, and then my um, supervisor was encouraging me to do a PhD. And seriously, the only reason I'd do a PhD is to call myself doctor. But so, And no. I thought, I, I, I struggled with a thesis, which is, I don't know, 40,000 words. I am not doing a PhD that's 180,000 words. So I didn't. But part of me went, I might just write a book. And so I did. And the biggest feedback I get now is when people say, when I was reading your book, it felt like you were in the room talking to me. And so now I, I read, I, I write like I talk. So I never, ever thought a book if would be in me. When I, I wrote my first one 10 years ago, if someone had a said, you know, in 10 years time, you would have written another six or seven, how many, I just would, no, 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 no. And, and you're right. Now I've got, I just keep, I just love, I just love writing now. It's, I find writing actually really, really creative and it helps me if I've got an idea and I have to write about it, I sort of have to spend a time developing my idea to put it out there. So it, to me, it's a way for me to keep developing my, my ideas and my thoughts and, you know, to then just put it out. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a great story. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm a writer too. I always knew I was a writer. I, I debated uh, when I was and graduated from high school um, which I was also in trouble in high school. And my mom basically didn't think I was going to go to college. And so I was going to prove everybody that I was. And I decided that's it. I'm going to go to the hardest school in Colorado. Colorado School of Mines is an engineering school. And because I was good at math. And my dad said, why are you not going to journalism school? You're a writer. I wrote for my high school newspaper. And I was like, well, because nobody thinks I can graduate from engineering school. So that's what I'm going to do. And of course, I spent four years like never writing and getting my my engineering degree. And then, you know, here it comes full circle with my dad telling me, well, you're probably not going to make it through engineering school. And me being determined I was and prove him wrong. Full circle. It's like, oh, I actually am a writer. <laughs> I think that's what they call cutting your nose off despite your face. Pretty much, pretty much. I have no regrets getting an engineering degree, but, but yeah, you know, writing is something very tangible for me being a, being an executive. I mean, I do just lots of intangible things, uh, you know, meetings with people and guiding and developing and thinking strategy. And, and so writing is like this tangible, I look at, I got this done where it's really hard to look at the rest of my day and say, oh yeah, I can, I can check off all the things that I did. So I like that piece of it too, is it gives mm. me something tangible to attach myself to. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny, Kerry, you said tangible. Um, my mum has never been able to explain what I do to her friends as a job. Like the concept of teaching people storytelling in business. Like she, she literally, she goes, what do you mean you have to teach people how to tell stories? Don't they just do it? I go, no, mum, they don't. So she's got no idea how to explain. But when I wrote a book, she now can tell her friends, 
Gabrielle writes books because it's <laughs> tangible. And now, now they just think I'm an author, which you know, is one part of my job, I guess. That's funny. All right. Well, we need to wrap things up. Um, I know you have uh, places to be. So how can people find you? Oh, look, the best place is, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, but the best place is my website. So gabrieldolan.com. And if you're interested in storytelling, I have, I have like a seven day storytelling starter kit. It's free. Um, and you just, if you just subscribe, you'll get an email from me once a day for seven days with a really short video. And it's just a way to sort of get, I guess, help get you started about thinking about the types of stories you could share, where you could share them, that type of stuff. So if anyone's in, it's gabrieldolan.com. Great. And how about your book? They can get it anywhere? Amazon? Oh, yeah. Get it anywhere. Amazon, all the usual, all the usual. It's in audio and um, Kindle ebook. So just all the, all the, all the normal places you get your, your books. Wonderful. All right. Well, and I'll include all that into the show notes as well. Well, Gabrielle, it was so lovely having you on the show today. This was a very fun conversation. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I did. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks for being part of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hang tight and I'll be right back. All right. I'm back. I hope you enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun for me. I think Gabrielle had a lot of fun. Hopefully you did too. Be sure to check out her book, Magnetic Stories, Connect with Customers and Engage Employees with Brand Storytelling. It's on Amazon. And I look forward to hosting you next week on Advice from a CEO. We've got some interesting topics to discuss. And if you like this podcast, please uh, write a review rate it, subscribe to it. Check out my new YouTube channel, Carrie Siggins Reflect Forward. I always appreciate it. Thanks so much. See you next week.